Welcome to the Green Shoots podcast by Appleyard Lees, a conversation for those who own, manage or protect intellectual property. Hello, I'm Adam Tyndall, a partner and patent attorney at Appleyard Lees in the UK, and I'm joined today by my fellow partner and patent attorney, Howard Reed. Adam, great to chat with you. So we're now firmly into the sunrise period before the launch of the unitary patent system here in Europe, which is going live in June 2023. And so it's now more crucial than ever that European patent owners and uh, people with European patent applications understand the the nitty gritty of what they should be doing at this time. Uh, so, so I thought today we'll um, maybe if we approach this from thinking about the the unitary patent system in uh, sort of three phases, maybe the the uh, sort of the first phase of uh, what do you do with European patents that you. Uh, have which are granted already um, what to do with European patents which are going to grant before the unitary patent system goes live and what to do after it's gone live and the years ahead. Adam very much so yes and in all of this we've got to think about what is the uh, unitary patent system and it's, it's composed of two parts we have the unitary patent or um, properly known as European patent with unitary effect and we have the um, Unified Patent Court. Now, the Unified Patent Court uh, may handle both uh, European patents with unitary effect, or as we better know them, unitary patents, as well as European patents. That is, without unitary effect, those which are as customarily um, validated today. Yes. Okay, right. So, if you're a patent holder and you've got one or more granted European patents. What are, what are they? What are they, what should you be thinking about now? What should you be? Uh, what, what decisions do you need to make? Well, so now, as a proprietor of European patent, or you need to be thinking about whether or not you want to make use of the new Unified Patent Court, which um, comes into force from the first of June of twenty twenty three. And the question is, how do you make that decision of? whether or not you want to make use of the UPC, the Unified Patent Court. And it is not a straightforward answer necessarily. (laughs) No. Because you have to think about um, how you intend to, or if you intend to, assert going forwards, um, or if you're thinking about being defensive and and protecting your, your granted European patent. So... Generally, and this should really be done on a case-by-case, a patent-by-patent basis, you have to consider the history of your patent application as well as the patent, and then how you have been commercialising, say, product or method um, that's covered by the patent, and where. So I think the first part I'm going to start is... If your European patent has been opposed and maintained in opposition, either as granted or in amended form, or it's uh, further gone on to be maintained in appeal, either as granted or in amended form, then probably you'll want to opt out of the Unified Patent Court. 
because there is a risk that having been challenged first before the European Patent Office, the EPO, there may be subsequent challenge before the UPC. Why is this important? Because um, challenge of your European patent before the UPC could result in revocation of um, those validations of the of that European patent in the contracting member states of the UPC. So if you want to protect what you've got, having already been attacked once, then probably you want to opt out. I think that, that, that maybe even sort of going back a step, and this was a point that confused me for a while, was in uh, Europe, what has a granted European patent, but it's validated in different countries. So one is opting out the patent, not the all of the validations themselves. Correct, yes. So you opt out a European patent, and in so doing, you opt out all of the validations, including, actually, those that uh, have expired. Oh, okay. Or no, for which you've no longer paid renewal fees, ultimately because um, you could um, always bring an action in respect of an expired or terminated or no, with um, granted patent. So not all countries which are European Patent Convention states have signed up to the University Patent so, so what effect does opting out have on those countries? So in those countries, so let's, we can actually be more specific here. So there's some 17 now countries that are contracting member states of the uh, UPC. Um, the others, and we have to think about, yes, we've got 39 contracting states of the European Patent Convention, some 17 um, contracting states of the Unified Patent Court, so, not all of the member states of the European Union are within or members of the uh, Unified Patent Court. So, for example, Spain, Poland, Croatia are not. At the same time, um, countries such as the UK, Switzerland, are not members of the European Union. But you could have validated your patents in, in these countries. As it stands, and as we best understand, the Unified Patent Court does not have direct effect. In fact, it cannot have direct effect on countries outside of the European Union. It may have a long reach. It is more likely to have a long reach into countries of the European Union that are not currently contracting states of the Unified Patent Court, so potentially into Spain, Croatia, and Poland. But what might be the benefits of of, of not opting out and, and letting the, the patents stay under the jurisdiction of the uh, Unitary Patent Court? So if we think about opting out, then the, the aim is to maintain the status quo, that um, the, the patent cannot be the subject of action before the Unified Patent Court, either revocation or, indeed, um, action for infringement. So you'd continue, as today, with actions before national courts of the um, validated European patent individually on a country-by-country -country basis. So 
if I want to uh, enforce my German European validated patent in a minute, I know that I need to get in touch with a German patent attorney, and uh, we know what that that team of people would look like, and we, we kind of know what the process would be in Germany. What kind of if you if you wanted to enforce your unitary patent in the future, what extra things or what different things might you have to do, or what what, what might be different about the team of people you'd need to pull together to do that? That's uh, very interesting, Adam. So just sticking with Germany for a moment, and suppose you're to bring your, your action before a local division in Germany, and the one of four, um, so there's potential there for even court forum shopping. I will start with the... It has always been billed that the Unified Patent Court will be a more economical way. It will better serve uh, more cost-effectively, um, particularly... Um, SMEs uh, throughout Europe. SMEs, in fact, making up 99% of really all uh, employment in Europe anyway. Um, it is debatable at this stage whether the cost is actually going to be um, any less than bringing multiple actions in multiple countries. It's quite fascinating, isn't it? You'd have thought those things would be feel quite central to um to, to finding a, uh, a system. So from a patent owner's point of view, if you're thinking about um, if you want to enforce your rights, then so, so it could be a lot more expensive than you might expect if it was a national court, if, especially if you're only interested in activity in one country or a couple of countries. If you're um, defending your unitary patent against uh, against another party, is that is that equally complicated or yeah, so um, let's think about the revocation side. I suppose the, what we should always remember is that the opposition procedure before the EPO remains unchanged. So um, if you wish to challenge a validity of a patent, that is really the first port of call. And then um, seeking revocation before the UPC um, would only be as a subsequent action. And potentially very useful, particularly in view of the um, relatively new rules of procedure of the Boards of Appeal, which limit the appeal to being a, a legal review of the first instance, the opposition division um, decision. So if you have, for example, new data, new evidence that was not admitted or you have since found um since the proceedings before the EPO, then there's potential to bring that um, to the UPC instead. And you have a, some might term a second bite at the cherry. Mm. But it is a relatively more expensive process at the UPC compared with at the EPO. Even just thinking about the court fees versus the official fees at the EPO. Yeah. I'm thinking in particular if the European patent's granted already, if it's been granted for several years, then in op- opposition there won't be a, uh, you know, you know, won't be an option. Uh, I was just sort of thinking about it from the point of view if you're trying to decide whether to opt in or opt out. It sounds like it's you know a bit more expensive than. Uh... It is a bit more expensive. It's um, even if you are successful, of course, it'll only affect directly affect um, those contracting states of the UPC provider that is what you've requested, though the decision of the UPC may be persuasive if you were to bring actions in courts of other states outside of the UPC, contracting states, where the patent has been validated. So if you know a patent presents, for example, 
a freedom to operate risk um, and perhaps licensing um, has been so far um, not possible, then this is an option. But again, I will say, you know, even in the, in the early days, and that's two to three, three to five years, it's not certain how you are to challenge the validity. So, a couple of quick choir questions before we sort of before we move on to the uh, onto sort of the the next phase. So, uh, so I have a European patent. It's been granted for a couple of years. It's validated in uh, five states. If I if I opt in, do I do I get coverage in in more countries in Europe? Well, that's a good question. Um, I'll say there's no such thing as opting in. Okay, you can only opt out. So by default, on the first of June, twenty twenty three. Every European patent and patent application that has not been opted out will, by default, fall under the competence of the UPC. Okay, yeah. Okay, right. Now, um, you've got a granted European patent. It's been validated in some states. You keep exactly those. There's no extension of protection in territory or scope of the claims, for example. For your validated um, European patent, exactly the same, no change at all. You continue to pay renewal fees to the national officers exactly as you've always done. Yeah, okay, all right. So next phase, right. So I have a, a, a pending European patent application. I've, I've had the, the rule 71.3 that says I've got uh, a deadline to respond to. Um, what do I need to be thinking about now? Should I... Should I rush ahead and get that paid and uh, file my translations and pay the grant fees? Or what, what, what else do I need to think about? It depends what you want to do, because at this stage, even before the 1st of June 2023, there is the option to um, have, after the 1st of June 2023, a European patent with unitary effect, a.k.a. a unitary patent. Or you can um, validate as normal. And I will emphasize that if you were to request a unitary patent, then you would still be looking to get uh, validations in those countries that are not part of the uh, UP, UPC system. So, for example, in Spain or Poland or the UK or Switzerland as currently. Um, there's a mechanism that's enabled by the European Patent Office currently that allows you to delay grant until after the 1st of June 2023. In fact, grant would be, if you were to request delay now, would be on the 7th of June, um, simply because that is the first Wednesday after the 1st of June, which is when the European Patent Bulletin is uh, customarily published. So if you want a year to patent, you have to delay grant until 1st of June. Correct, yes, okay. yes, because it is the um, date of grant, or in fact the date of publication or mention of grant, that is um, determinative. Okay, so it has to be granted um, on or after the 1st of June 2023 in order to get a unitary patent. And the first date that we can do that is the 7th of June. So if I have a Rule 713, an uh, intention to uh, grant communication from the EPO and that's got a deadline of next week what do I uh, what do I do so the first thing you can do is simply file a request to delay grant right yeah okay if if you either want a, a unitary patent or if you're still thinking about applying for a unitary patent and you don't want to make the decision just yet ah, right yeah 
Okay, so it's it's not a requirement to necessarily have or request a unitary patent if you delay grant. Okay. Okay. So we can delay grant through to the seventh of June, and um, you've got two options. You can, in advance of the first of June, uh, request early. Uh, it's an early request for unitary effect, which means that your European patent gets granted on the 7th of June and your unitary patent will um, arise um, short, as shortly thereafter as possible. Okay, You have to, you have to complete the, the requirements, which includes paying fee for unitary patent, as well as filing a translation, full translation of the um, application into another language, and it depends on what language, the, the current language of the proceedings. But if you don't request the, if, if you don't make that request uh, for early unitary effect, then it will still have unitary effect. It's just that it might be later on in June. Or... No, um, if, you, all, if, if all you've done is request a delay in grant, then the grant will be on the 7th of June, and then you can decide what you want to do, because you've still got a month in which to request unitary effect. And then you'd, within that month, pay the fees and file the translation. And so if your um, patent application is in English, you can file the translation into any um, language of the European Union, Okay, which includes, then, language of those countries that are not um, UPC contracting states. So indeed, you can file a translation in Spanish or Polish or Croatian. So, so with this phase that i think the you know uh, the the decision gets a bit more complicated for uh for someone with a patent pending patent application than perhaps for a, a granted patent because you you not only have the mm-hmm. whether to uh whether you want um uh the 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 validated you know you you, you want protection in lots of validated states as, uh and or, or whether to have the unitary patent um, and, and a handful of other unitary states, but there's the there's the there's the massive cost difference in validation as well. I mean, I did this for a client the other day that if if there were say sixteen states that you want that you normally validate in, it does seem to be vastly cheaper to uh, uh, to go for the uh, unitary patent option. It does indeed, and you know it's the renewal um, or annuity costs are significantly cheaper for a unitary patent compared with the individual um, countries. But what we have to remember is that most um, proprietors do not validate in many countries. So effectively, um, by requesting a unitary patent, you are getting additional countries almost for free. Yeah. On the, on the other four or five. Remembering that still... UK being um, one of the major um, validation, currently validation states, you'll still be validating for the UK. Now, organisations that may be interested in having coverage across the um, all the UPC contracting states are also, you know, who, who traditionally would validate in those, are also those organisations that are eschewing the UPC. So, for example, if we're taking... Um, if we're thinking about pharmaceuticals, ph- pharmaceutical product, and you've got a, a patent towards an active pharmaceutical ingredient, it is highly unlikely that any of the, say, pharmaceutical innovators will be making use of the UP system. 
of the unitary patent. They will instead do as they do today and sandbox protection in each of the contracting states individually. Oh, what? Why is, that? Why is that? Because of the potential risk um, of loss of patent protection for that that key active pharmaceutical ingredient across all the contracting states of the UPC. Right. In contrast, of course, you know, to, as we have today with um, individual validations, if somebody wish, you know, if, um, say a generic um, company wishes to seek revocation of that patent, they have to do so in each of those those countries. On the other hand, if you are, say, a startup and you're trying to build or you are building a portfolio of patent protection for your um, growing um, organization and you want to have coverage in as many countries as possible um, to attract investors, for example, then you may seek um, the UP. Plus, it has the additional benefit that the renewal fees are um, about the same as, is it, what, four or five um, current contracting states. Yeah, yeah. Yes, it's, it's, it's substantially less. I think over 20 years, it's, uh, yeah, you save tens of thousands of pounds, don't you? So it's, uh, yeah, that's what, yeah. You do, you do. Um, I will highlight here that um, even though you've got these, the saving of tens of thousands, and in fact, it could even well be approaching 100,000-ish pounds over the lifetime of the patent, there are very, really generally very few proprietors who maintain their patents in force in all of the countries in which they validated for the lifetime of the patent or the potential lifetime of the patent because, you know, of market forces. Right, yes. And and with the unitary patent, you, uh, you're you stuck with it for the uh, for the entire duration. You can't drop cases. You can't reduce your renewal fees. You, you, can't. C- you can't drop countries, yeah. no. A, a single um, indivisible patent. Uh, one last question on this uh, on this phase. Of course. So uh, I get my uh, unitary patent in uh, in June, and there are some countries which haven't signed up for unitary patent, uh, but might do in the future. So uh, when when those countries when if other countries sign up to the uh, unitary patent system, do I do, does my unitary patent that I get now? Does that come into force in those new countries that sign up in the future? The unitary patent that you get in June of this year will be limited to those countries that were part of the UPC when the um, European patent was granted. Okay, the last phase now. So in the in the future, right, uh, where after June, what do patent holders have to think about this? different to now it, it seems, still it seems like it got to, gets a lot more straightforward because they're not having to worry about delaying grant or decisions about uh, such like now the, 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 it's just a simple decision between whether to validate in multiple countries or whether to have the UP and validate in those countries which haven't signed up to the UP but it feels like there's nothing else to worry about until we get to uh, the end of the transitional period which is maybe maybe if you could explain what the traditional period is Yes. So the I mean the the UP UPC, particularly the UPC, brings in a new legal system. And generally whenever you a new legal system is introduced, there is a transitional period um in which the status quo may be at least maintained in part, um, but after which we move on to full application of the UPC. 
which in full application of the UPC, every European patent, with or without unitary effect, would fall under the UPC. The UPC would be competent for all of those. So that's after the transitional period of seven years, which may be delayed um, for up to another seven years, unless an action has been taken, that action being to request to opt out that patent or patent application before the one month before the end of the transitional period. Right. So at the end of that transitional period, whether it's seven years or, or longer, the only choice will be unitary patent and validate in the countries which aren't part of the unitary patent. So, no, no. Um, you still have the choice of unitary patent plus validation in those countries that are not members of the UPC or just validation as we have today. Oh, really? Even after the transitional period ended? Even after the transitional right. period, there's always going to be that option to have validations exactly as we have today. Okay. Except, except that unless you've opted out, those validations in the UPC contracting state countries will now fall under the competence of the UPC. Right, that's it, yes. That's the difference. Yeah. 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 So, you know, thinking about the transitional period, if you've got a pending application that's coming up to um, and still hasn't been granted by the end of the, or to one month before the end of the transitional period, that, and you don't want to be under the exclusive competence of the UPC, then you would request to opt out that European patent application so that when it does grant, the granted um, European patent is also not under the competence of the UPC. Okay, okay. But that's looking far into the future. It is looking far into the future. 2030 and beyond. <laughs> not that far. Adam, it has been a delight talking with you today. Lots to explore, lots for us to still learn about the UP and the UPC going forward. There'll be many more questions, and I look forward to discussing these with you next time. Absolutely. Thank you, Had. I've learned quite a lot just talking to you today about it. Thanks for listening to the Green Shoots podcast by Appleyard Leagues. If you have a question or issue you would like our IP specialists to discuss on the podcast, then tweet us at Appleyard Leagues or email us at ip at appleyardleagues.com.